Thanks for listening to the Dearest Doula podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Sines, and this is episode 99. Welcome, dearest doula community. I'm really excited to introduce you to today's guest. She has attended births for over 35 years, first as a doula and then from 2000 to 2012 as a midwife. She's been a therapeutic body worker for over 25 years and specializes in cranial sacral therapy for pregnant and new mothers, infants, and children. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Miss Carol Gray. How are you today, Carol? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you. Well, I've given our listeners just a really brief overview. So why don't you take a moment to tell us just a little more about yourself? Okay. I I got started practicing craniosacral therapy. Actually, it's a great it's a great story. I I live in Portland, Oregon, and many years ago, like, you know, 25 years ago, there was a group of of mostly home birth midwives who met every month in a restaurant, and they called themselves the Portland Birth Professionals. And I used to go to those meetings, and in those days, um, if people would ask me what I did for a living, particularly in a meeting like that, I would say, I'm a massage therapist who also goes to births. Um, It's so long ago that the word doula had not yet been coined to describe labor support type of work. And that was the best title I could come up with because that's what I was doing. I was, I was doing massage. I was seeing a lot of pregnant women in my, in my practice and a certain number of them wanted me to provide labor support for them, which I did. So that's what I would say. And I, and I was always really hoping that I wouldn't get kicked out of those meetings like for being a fraud or something because, uh, you know, I wasn't a midwife and I was sure they had magical powers and I was honored just to sit in the same room with them. And so, and I'm, and I'm actually a shy person. And so I didn't ask a lot of questions. I just sit there and listen to the conversations and, and, and feel like I'd made it halfway to heaven. So in one of those meetings, and these were like done at breakfast time and, 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 around a big table in a special room in a particular restaurant. And so there, there were two midwives sitting across the table from me. And one of them said to the other one, do you do cranial adjustments on all the babies in your practice? And the other one said, oh, yeah, of course I do. And I totally knew in that moment that that was something I needed to learn how to do. But I was too shy to ask them what it was. And I figured I could ask somebody already, somebody else and they would tell me, right? Mm-hmm. So I let that opportunity go by. I probably spent a year asking my chiropractor and my former massage teachers, anybody I could think of, like, do you know how to do cranial adjustments on newborns? And nobody really knew. <laughs> And so I, but I, but I knew that the babies I was seeing that, especially the ones born in the hospital, honestly, that some of them had problems. They were subtle. They weren't the thing, anything that, that a pediatrician would diagnose as an issue, but there were, there were things that these, that these babies needed help. And, and I knew that some kind of hands-on therapy could help them, but I didn't know what. And so I was, I was on this path then to find it. So I kind of gave up. And then one day I decided, I'd like to go to Esalen to go to a yoga retreat or something, get out of town. And in those days, the internet didn't exist. And, and so I had to like call them and ask them to mail me a catalog. And when the catalog came in the mail, I noticed that they were offering the first uh, craniosacral class in the Upledger series there at Esalen. I thought, oh, this is great. And in fact, it was the first time any of the Upledger classes were ever taught there. And, and so I thought, great, I, can, I, I had taken like an intro class in, to craniosacral therapy when I had been in massage school. 
school. And so I thought, this is cool. I'm going to write off the whole trip. Maybe they'll teach me how to do a cranial <laughs> adjustment on a newborn. So I went there and I took the class and they didn't teach me how to do a cranial adjustment on a newborn. But the teacher told me that if I came back for the next class three months later, that they would teach me how to treat babies. And I thought, all right, I'm in. This is this is the stuff. So I went back and, and the teacher did about a, um, a half an hour lecture on the clinical considerations, which is a fancy word for a list of things that craniosacral therapy might help with a baby or a child. And she did um, a really nice demonstration treatment with a baby and said, okay, you're on your own. And so, okay, I was on my own and I started, <laughs> and I started treat, treat, treating babies and kind of making it up as I went along because the rest of my training really, um, for many years, that nobody had a, an infant class or a pediatric class. And, and so I had to just figure out how to adapt the techniques that I had learned for adults, uh, non-pregnant adults for that matter, how to adapt those techniques to the pregnant and new mothers that I was really seeing and, and their babies. So anyway, that's how I got started. Awesome. Oh, I love hearing that. That's such a cool story. Now, um, so the episode or the focus for today's episode mm -hmm. really is all about the benefits of cranial sacral therapy. And this show was created to educate and inform and empower these new and prospective birth workers who are tuning in. Now, because we don't know what knowledge base they have of any, if any, on today's topic, I'd really like to just go back to the basics and have you start off with a basic definition of what cranial sacral therapy is. And then if you wouldn't mind also just touching on some of its history, I think that'd be a great place to start. I think that sounds awesome. Um, people who do craniosacral therapy long for the concise elevator speech about what it is. And of course, <laughs> there are, you know, over the, the many years that this work has been in existence, decades now, uh, people, there are different branches of the craniosacral tree have emerged and people have different definitions. So, but but this is the definition that, that I give to, to, um, you know, but people who are prospective clients. I, I see people in my bodywork practice who have no information whatsoever, yet they're, they've shown up with money in hand for a treatment and they have no idea what I'm going to do. So craniosacral therapy is, is based on some, some foundation principles. And I think most people who practice would agree that these are the foundation principles. And one of the big ones for me is that all of our body parts should move independently of their neighbors. And when I say body parts, I mean like muscles and bones, and but I also mean things like organs and nerve fiber tracts and blood vessels, like anything, all the way down to the subatomic particle level. All of our body parts should move independently of their neighbors. And stuff happens to us in in our development in utero, and and certainly as we as after we're born and we move through life, we have infections or uh, injuries or spiritual wounds or emotional wounds. All kinds of things can happen to our bodies, our physical bodies, over time that that cause an imp inflammation processes to occur and. Inflammation is an important part of healing, but sometimes we overdo it. And anytime that happens, parts of our bodies, structures inside our bodies that are next to each other can get stuck together. 
And over time, we can lose our ability for structures to move. And when body parts don't move the way they're supposed to, um, we end up losing function. And that could be, you know, obvious stuff like reduced blood flow, reduced lymph flow, reduced nerve conduction. Um, We lose our ability to move. Human bodies are made to move. We're supposed to move all the time. And and when we don't, problems develop. So that's one of the foundations. Um, And when I'm treating somebody, I'm using my hands to search for areas in the body that don't move the way they ought to, and then using very gentle techniques to mobilize them. That's kind of the thing. I'm not very interested in how a body stacks up in terms of alignment because I know that if we can restore appropriate mobility, the alignment will follow, which is liberating in some ways. And and it also points to some of the other foundation principles, one of which is the body seeks seeks balance. That's super important and obvious. And, you know, we know, we know about a kind of balance. We call it homeostasis, and that's more of a, a biochemical balance, right? We're always we're, we're changing things like more or less oxygen. We're changing our pH. We're changing, you know, a little bit more, a little bit less of this cam- chemical. We're, we're, we're balancing our blood sugar, our body temperature. So we know about that, but there's also a thing called structural balance. And I don't mean the kind of balance of like not falling down, not that kind, not, not about being dizzy and falling, but but just structural balance, like how how our bodies are in gravity, and we're always seeking that, and 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 so the work that I do kind of capitalizes on that idea. I want to offer the smallest intervention necessary for the body to to find its balance and really its own healing because all healing is self-healing and that's another one of those foundation ideas of what I do. So I'm going to ask kind of the midwife question like what's really needed here? What would happen if I did less? And so in that way, I think that craniosacral therapy is like the homeopathy of body work. We're doing the very tiniest amount of whatever it is we have to do for the body to sort of take the ball and run with it and, and, and find balance and find healing. Um, so those are, those are kind of the, the basic definitions, I think, or the basic um, I don't know, foundation principles of the work. And, you know, and I trust my clients. I trust mothers and I trust babies to know what they need to do for healing to occur. And, and I'm going to give them something to lean against, something to push against, maybe something to align themselves around and, and, and hold presence for people. And then good things happen. Awesome. So, um, so I, I love that we got to touch on kind of the underlying philosophy or principles that guide craniosacral therapy. Would you also mind touching a bit more on, on I guess, the history or as, as far as you're aware, the origin of how it all started? Sure. Um, it, it comes from the field of osteopathy. Okay. I'm not an osteopath. Okay. I happen to practice under a massage therapy license. Because the work is incredibly gentle, I would say that from the consumer standpoint, the difference between craniosacral therapy and other forms of manual therapy, the kinds of things that massage therapists and physical therapists and chiropractors and other people do, the thing that's different about what we do, and all of those other people could practice craniosacral therapy for that matter but what's different is the is the the gentleness of the touch it's very 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 light touch 
And so, anyway, um, but we all started out in the in the foundation of osteopathy, which was uh, developed in the kind of in the late uh, 1800s uh, by a man named Andrew Taylor Still. He was uh, um, his his own father was a doctor and. He was also a minister, and Andrew used to follow his father around when, when his father ministered to people and doctored people. Uh, Civil War broke out, and um, A.T. Still, as he sometimes is called, joined the Union Army, and he got the ultimate field promotion. He got to be a surgeon. Um, you, if you were a smart young man, especially one who'd seen doctoring, you got to be a surgeon in the, in the Civil War if, you, if, if they needed one and you, and you wanted to do it, and he did. So anyway, he did that, and he still was not turned off to medicine uh, after the war was over and he went to medical school then and uh, he had some tragedy in his life he lost a couple of his kids in a a meningitis epidemic and he was haunted wondering whether they died from meningitis or whether they died from the medicine that they were given to treat the meningitis he turned his back on medicine studied with i don't know native american shamans and bone setters and and ultimately re-emerged as a guy who was only doing what we now call manual therapy his work was renowned people went traveled great distances to get treatments from him and ultimately he started as the first school of osteopathy which was in Missouri it's still that school is still in existence actually so osteopathy is a, a United States kind of uh, treatment that has certainly spread around the world he um, he in the early days um, the osteopaths weren't interested in anything north of the neck so to speak they they believed the the British model of anatomy that cranial bones fuse at some point in our lifetime and that our heads are like coconuts and that there's there's no point in learning techniques for mobilizing them because they won't move uh, it turns out he was wrong about that <laughs> as <laughs> as are anybody who studied anatomy in in, in an English speaking country uh, that's it's changing there uh, anatomists are starting to concede that these things really do move throughout our lifetimes. But anyway, there was some some um, earlier osteopaths in the early 1900s who who said, "Oh, wait a minute, we think you're wrong about that." And they started to develop techniques, and ultimately, the field of cranial osteopathy was born. And those techniques went in and out of favor over the years, and and eventually, people like John Upledger and some other people um, kind of picked up where where the um, earlier cranial osteop osteopaths left off and began to develop work that we now call craniosacral therapy. So how's that? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that is a really fascinating and just crazy background. Um, I had no idea that I'd be, I'd be so interested in learning the history of that. And so I think all of our <laughs> listeners are just going to have their minds blown a little bit. Very colorful background there for craniosacral therapy. Yeah. So um, I guess moving on from there, what I'd like to do is kind of touch on what I think might be some of the more um, frequently asked questions or even concerns, dare we say, that people might have when it comes to cranial sacral therapy. So we've already kind of touched on what makes this unique from other modalities of body work, like you mentioned, whether it's massage therapy or chiropractic. Um, what would somebody, or what could somebody expect the first time they go see a cranial sacral therapist? If you could kind of give us an idea of, um, I, I don't know, maybe anything from session length to session frequency, just what kind of things are touched on and, and how the cranial sacral therapist determines 
how to best help that person seek balance, I think that'd be probably the next logical step here. That's an awesome idea. So I'm, I'm going to talk about how it is in my practice, and I'll, sure. I'll mention some things that might be different with everyone. We are all individuals. There's something, being a body worker means that we, that we do our work in, in relative isolation, right? you know, because we're sure. one-on-one with people, and maybe we have whole families visiting us. But anyway, so when somebody comes to my office, uh, and I'll, let's just assume it's an adult class client, um, uh, well, we could say a pregnant woman coming coming during her pregnancy, if that works for you. So sure. she's going to show up at my office, and I'm going to sit down and talk with her for at least a half an hour. I, uh, For an adult visit, I allow, I allow a, a two-hour block of time, knowing that certainly the person who visits me may be here for less than that, but I want to allow enough time to really take a history and... Um, gather information about treatment goals and, and really want to really understand what's going on for somebody before I begin to treat them. And some of those, some of the stories can take a while. And I want to, I want to make sure that people have the time to, to really do that. Not everybody practices that way, but you know, I'm also at heart a home birth midwife. And so building relationship is really important to me. Um, the other reason I do that is because some people might not know or might not have an awareness of the kinds of things that could get better as a result of craniosacral therapy. And so I want to be sure that that we've explored all the possibilities of treatment goals, which would be things that could improve, you know, so that later on, if I see that person another time, um, she, in this case, is, it, it, you know, I'm going to have some information about, about, how she was in the prior visit and then I can ask those questions like wow well are you still limping and do you still have headaches and uh and 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 does your right eye twitch I don't know whatever she said (laughs) and you know and oh yeah those things are better I forgot about that and so sometimes it's a way of helping people um feel encouraged about the progress they're making because lots of times people forget about things once they're gone and and might and yet still might feel discouraged because the one thing they were hoping would get better isn't better yet so I'm going to take a history and spend a lot of time. I'm going to write all of that stuff down. And and then I'm going to tell people, now I know you're telling me that your right knee is the thing that hurts. Now I want you to know that now that I've written that down, I haven't forgotten it, but I'm going to do assessments with you and, and I'm going to treat the things that your body shows me should be treated in the order in which your body shows me that they should be treated. And so I might not touch your knee or I might touch it at the, as the very last thing. And so I just want you to know that I've paid attention to you and um, I've written it down and now I'm purposely going to ignore it. Um, I get much better results if I do assessments and I treat what I find without regard to what I think I know. And one of the reasons for that is that the source of pain or loss of function is not always obvious and it could be distant from the area of the body that seems like the place where the problem is located. And so so as long as people understand that my work is results-oriented and that I, I did pay attention to them, they're pretty good with it. So communication is key. That's another reason why I spend time talking to people in advance. So the, the next thing that's in, interesting to some people and, and uninteresting to others is that I work with people fully clothed. Um, I ask them to take their shoes off. You know, that's about it. <laughs> and so, and that's and for some people who are who are who are especially modest, that in and of itself might make this kind of body work more appealing than any of the other kinds they've heard about, where you have to take off your clothes. So, mm-hmm. so there's that. And 
And the reason for, for that is that, well, it saves time, right? And, and I'm not usually working with the skin or, or maybe even the muscles that I can touch that are deep to the skin. So in, the way, in that way, this work is different from what we think of when we think of massage, like that rubbing and kneading and stroking kind of stuff. So for me, I'm working through layers of tissue in the body anyway, and a couple more layers of clothing is just a couple more layers. It's no big deal. So, so people wear their clothes when they, when they come here. I like to do stand, uh, standing assessments with people, and, and um, I'll put my hand lightly on the top of someone's head and, and feel into their bodies. I think it's especially revealing to notice a body standing in gravity. For, for people who can stand on their own, that's, that's their real relationship to the world. And, and it gives me more information than I would get if I assessed them lying down, which is a less normal relationship to gravity. So I do that. Um, I figure out how to get someone positioned on the table, or maybe I'm treating them standing or seated, especially with pregnant women. I have them in a variety of positions, and I ask them to move sometimes a few times during a treatment in order to, to get to the next thing. So full body assessment. I get my hands typically in an area to treat. I wait for signs of release. Then I reassess them completely because it's every every little bit of the treatment reshuffles the deck. It's a whole new person, or at least a partially new person, and I feel like I need to ask that question now. What do I do again? And I am I repeat that process over and over again. So that's what it's like from the standpoint of the the consumer standpoint. What it's like to get a craniosacral treatment. Um, if you want, I can talk about how people might feel afterwards and those kinds of things. Does that make sure. sense? Okay. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> uh, so at the end of a treatment, I'm, I, I tell my clients that, you know, you might feel like you're in an altered state and they may, they may feel deeply relaxed after the treatment. The treatment is, um, among other things, deeply soothing to the to the central nervous system and so it really will kind of dial down that that sympathetic nervous system response that occurs when people drive in traffic for example or have any kind of stress in life and so I'll let them know about that. Um, sometimes uh, a, a technique that I use toward the end of a treatment allows um, the brain to establish new movement patterns if 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 that person would benefit from them. And, and it might feel a little odd to walk for the first 20 feet or so, something like that. And, and so I'll let people know that if it feels weird to walk, don't worry about it. You know, your brain is going to habituate to the new pattern really quickly and, and it'll feel normal soon. So, so I let people know about that. Um, sometimes people do have um, just sort of interesting things during the treatment too. I may say to, I typically say to my clients, like, I've just asked you to lie down on your left side, for example, but you might get an urge to move into some other position. And if you do, go for it because you know, inside we all have great wisdom about exactly how to position ourselves for this process of release to work. I also tell people that they might have sensations. That are, they might have a pain in their foot when I've got my hand on their shoulder. So I'm going to let them know about that in advance too. Like if that happens, just just let me know. And and it goes away. It's a, it's a sign of change really. So it's it's no big deal. But it's, it's astonishing to people. And so I want to give them permission to mention it. 
because it just feels good to say like, wow, my shoulder hurts um, and you're barely touching it. That's so weird. And so, you know, we let people give voice to that. And sometimes people can have those things occur after they leave too. It's, that's sort of a, an evening after the, the treatment kind of thing that people might have some new ache or pain or some interesting sensation. Sometimes memories or strong emotions could come up after a treatment. All that stuff's normal and people typically ground in and, and turn back into who they think they are, you know, by the next day. <laughs> or they might have interesting dreams, which is a ridiculous thing to a pregnant woman because pregnant women already have interesting dreams. And so okay. um, this would just be one more uh, version of them for them. So those are the, the kinds of things that, that I'm going to chat with people about as they're leaving and... Um, you know, I tell them that that they may uh, that they'll know on some level if and when they need to be retreated. Other times, I'm it's really clear to me that we're working something that is going to take a little bit of time to sort of chip away at it, and and so I may say to them like, you know, I think I'm not into selling the lifetime membership, but I think that that you might. That, that probably two or three treatments, you know, spread out over the next month would be a great idea for you. Or in the case where I've got a pregnant mama who's in her third trimester and she's got a baby who's in a less than ideal position for birth, you know, I would love to see that mom two or three times before because we can get these babies to move a lot of times and I'm not moving them you know I'm not like it's not like I'm doing an external version or something like that but but by making space um lots of these babies turn you know or or manage to pull themselves up out of the mother's pelvis if they're stuck in there and and reorganize themselves so that they're positioned better for their own gestation and development but also for getting ready for birth so wow that's awesome um so i love getting to hear and i understand and i'm sure a lot of our listeners do as well that just like with chiropractic or even general medicine um it's your sessions are going to vary from from practitioner to practitioner so yes. but i'm um, just getting to get that inside scoop on how you personally practice is really exciting and i do feel like helps to really clear the air for a lot of our listeners who have been kind of maybe on the edge of it and thinking, well, I don't really know what to expect or if it's going to be kind of hippy dippy. Cause yeah. you know, I do feel like with a lot of these more alternative therapies, there is this sort of stigma that you're kind of fighting to constantly um, demystify or debunk what it is that you have to offer. So getting a little further into that, um, if you wouldn't mind just kind of spelling out in general, any of the more basic benefits that someone could benefit by, or, um, benefits someone could experience from going through cranial sacral therapy. Again, I guess more specifically during that pre and postnatal times. And then um, also if there are any risks or contraindications or just things to be aware of that someone might also experience from seeking this therapy as well, that I think that'd be great. I Well, I'd love to say a couple of things. I think I'd like to say it now because it fits a little better with what we just discussed. And sure. and that is, is that, that something I left out um, is this idea of the craniosacral rhythm. And some people are curious about like that rhythm, that rhythm. And is and mm-hmm. am, I, am I only going to put my hand on people's heads and on their sacrums? And, and, and what is that? And so... Um, 
in addition to all the assessment and treatment tools available, you know, in the field of osteopathy, I would say, um, there is this rhythm that we can feel that we use as an assessment tool and sometimes we use it as a treatment tool. There's a, a model to explain it. We think it has something to do with the production and resorption of cerebral spinal fluid. It can be felt throughout the body. It's commonly called the craniosacral rhythm or the cranial rhythmic impulse. And so I just want to make sure that people know about, about that. And, but that's not like the only tool we have. It's just, it's the thing that, that got added to the foundation of osteopathy by the cranial osteopaths. And so I just, I wanted to clear that up. And, you know, and the other part about, about this work is that it's energy work. And, and that freaks some people out, really. Mm -hmm. And, and other people are really excited about it. Um, there's a lot more to, I mean, certainly, I mean, riding the bus is an energetic experience. If you close your eyes, you can tell when a new person gets on, right? Or if I'm at a party and, and I feel somebody looking at me, you know, like from behind and I turn around, aha, there's that person looking right at me. Like, I suppose that that's an acknowledgement that we go beyond the skin. And th there, there is a component of that to this work, but, but it's way more than just putting my hands on people and thinking good thoughts or, or sending energy, if you will. Um, there's a, this massive foundation of anatomy and physiology. Anyway, so I wanted to, I wanted to clear that up um, cause, because, because there is, um, while there may be some hippy-dippy versions of it, uh, for the most part, um, even though we don't have research to show that this work is effective for anything at all, um, the, the, found, the scientific foundation upon which it's built is, is actually quite sound. So there's that. Awesome. All right. <laughs> Benefits for, um, for, well, for pregnant and new moms. Um, you know, there's a lot. There's there's a lot of people out there doing body work, uh, perinatal body work for pregnant and new mothers. Okay, and and a lot of that body work is focused on relieving the aches and pains or the uh, the, the discomforts of pregnancy or the or the the aches and pains and discomforts of of postpartum recovery. And and those are really important things to do. Okay, but for me, I, it goes a lot farther. I am obsessed with with making space for babies that is totally um the biggest deal for me in my practice right now i think that a lot of um a lot of people who are um attending births these days gail tully would be one of them the the the, the mama of spinning babies herself um a lot of us who've been in the business a really long time are saying you know we're seeing a lot of babies in um less than ideal positions, a lot more asynclitic babies. Those are babies that have, uh, you know, one ear tipped to one shoulder. They've got laterally flexed necks. They're trying to get born with, with one side of their head coming out instead of uh, the, uh, the posterior uh, fontanelle coming out first. And so there's, you know, we, we're seeing a lot of uh, labors that just chug along and don't go anywhere, slow to progress labors, and, and, and you know, babies that are, um, you know, end up being born cesarean because their labors don't start on time or they don't progress or, you know, whatever. So I've spent years developing techniques to enhance the mobility in a pregnant mother's body. That might be her bony pelvis, which could include getting her sacroiliac joints and her pubic symphysis to move a little better if it doesn't move appropriately. Her abdominal organs, if babies can't grow up, they're going to grow down and, and possibly get jammed into the mother's pelvis in a less than ideal position. Um, the support structures, we have, there are a bunch of support structures for the U 
uterus. We call them ligaments. They're really um, kind of pleats of or folds of fascia or peritoneum types um, tissue that that holds everything into place. Um, those sometimes have differences in, in their mobility and uh, the lower segment of the uterus itself can have a torque in it or, or a, a difference in mobility. And so during pregnancy is actually the most ideal time to work on these structures because the uterus is big and we can use it as a handle, if you will, on its other support structures. Now remember, we're using just a few grams of pressure. This is really super gentle work. But we can get, I think we can get lasting change in, in women's reproductive organs if we address them during pregnancy in this way. Um, I also have techniques that work with pelvic floor and, and, and the central nervous system. And so I'm obsessed uh, with doing something about this. We see a lot of babies who are born, um, if they manage to, however they manage to get born, who then have difficulty with breastfeeding. Maybe they don't do well on one side or the other and um, they end up with flat spots on one side of the back of their heads and all these kinds of things that we're seeing. Uh, those of us who are treating infants, many of them are preventable if we can make more space for these babies um, as they're growing in utero and the bonus is um, we're pretty sure that they're going to get um, they're going to have better births so that to me in terms of what we can do for uh, pregnant moms and their babies is huge uh, I I can't think of a better reason um, uh, to, to do this work in, in this particular population um, and if the babies have better births and the mothers aren't recovering from surgery, then, um, you know, they're going to have a better opportunity for bonding. Really and truly, all of the things that I've done throughout my career uh, working with growing families boils down to my strong desire to do whatever I can do to enhance infant and maternal bonding. That's really what it's all about. And that's, and that's what it takes to create a healthy world. And, oh, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> uh, so, so I know we got to touch on the benefits. What, was there any any specific contraindications or things that clients might want to be aware of as well? Anybody that wouldn't be a good candidate for cranial sacral therapy? Well, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I can't think of anybody who wouldn't be a good candidate. Someone who doesn't want to do it is a good candidate to not get it, you know. And, you know, and honestly, you know, just as a practical matter, um, with the exception of parents making appointments for their children, um, if somebody else makes a per, uh, an appointment for a third party, that's, that's trouble. <laughs> you, know? Cause that's, you know, in fact, I've, I've had that happen. And the first thing I, I say is like, you know, I am totally into um, not doing this if you don't want to be here. So let's, you know, let's talk this through and figure out if this is really right for you. So, so those are obvious um, reasons to not treat somebody. In my own training, I was taught that I shouldn't treat anybody who is fewer than six days post a stroke or an intracranial bleed, you know. So I thought, you know, and for years I followed that rule. And, and it kind of makes sense, you know, if I'm doing anything to increase intracranial pressure, if I'm working on the head, I could be working anywhere on the body, that that, that could theoretically be a problem. And But the more I've thought about it over the years, that frankly, um, when somebody has a bowel movement, they're going to increase their intracranial pressure way more than I am doing craniosacral therapy. And in fact, 
the, the amount of pressure change that occurs from somebody putting their head on a pillow is greater than the amount of pressure change that I can affect by using, you know, just ordinary craniosacral techniques. And so the answer to that is no. Um, I... I find this work to be incredibly helpful for women who are on bed rest during their pregnancies, for example, uh, and and that would, you know, that would be bed rest for any reason at all. I um, I can't think of a contraindication. There's there's one contraindication in general for body workers that I think is is the the one the big scary one during pregnancy, and that's deep vein thrombosis. Um, that's a woman who has developed a clot in a deep vein, typically in her leg, and that if we rub and stroke and do those kinds of things that we think of of massage, we could theoretically dislodge that that clot and create a medical emergency, but there's no way that that's going to happen with the kind of light touch that we're doing with this work. And so that, so even then, if a woman had either a diagnosed or an undiagnosed um, DVT, I, I really don't see that as, as an issue when we're, when we're touching people gently with a few grams of pressure. Um, it's just, it, it's just not a, not a big deal at all. Um, a woman who's nervous about, about getting the work or nervous about hands-on touch, maybe she has a history of, of pregnancy loss and she's early in a pregnancy. If she's, if she's uneasy about it, then maybe she's not a good candidate for the work. But there's nothing that, that, that we would do with this gentle work that would, that would increase her risk for a pregnancy loss at all. So... You know, those are those are the things that I've discovered over the years in my practice. Um, I think it can be incredibly beneficial for a woman to to have this kind of contact if she has um, some of the the more common complications or, or even the uncommon complications of pregnancy, because it's going to help her help her be calm and and and, um, and reduce her overall stress level. You know, when women have ongoing stress, it it reduces the blood flow to the placenta, and that's a problem. That can make for smaller babies and and babies who really aren't getting what they need it reduces the amount of oxygen that's available to them so awesome well thank you so much for clearing the air on that and before we wrap up today's episode we're just going to pause for a quick moment to get a word in from our sponsors are you a doula or childbirth professional who wants to deliver the best experience to your clients Do you also want to make sure you're being smart about the best ways to run your business? If so, then consider joining Your Birth Experience. Their training and curriculum is used nationwide by childbirth professionals who learn how to connect with clients, identify their needs, and equip them for their own unique experience. Participants of Your Birth Experience will also learn valuable branding, sales, marketing, and pricing strategies. They empower you with confidence by combating myths with facts, using simple and effective training techniques, and by getting you the tools and resources you need to make informed decisions. Learn more about their step-by-step training process at yourbirthexperience.com and use the code DEAREASTOOLA for 10% off your purchase. Do you want to build a doula business that supports you as well as your clients? If you love being a doula with all of your heart, yet struggle to find clients to grow a thriving business, Babo Mia's Don't Do It Yourself business trainings and memberships are here to guide you every step of the way. Whether you want trainings on social media, goal setting, marketing, or more, they have trainings that you are going to absolutely love. So visit them at training.com. 
babomia.com and click on the pay-per-view tab for a complete list of trainings, including a pretty amazing and free business prep school video series. You can also use the code DEAREST to get 50% off any of the pay-per-view videos or monthly membership. And again, that was training.babomia.com and Babomia is spelled B-E-B-O-M-I-A. All right, Carol, we are back. Now, we've got to hit on so many wonderful points on cranial sacral therapy. And uh, while I feel like this was an incredibly comprehensive and well-done interview, I know that there's always more to learn. So what I'd like to do next is help put the do in these interested doulas and connect them with other great resources that, that they could go to to learn even more about this therapy and all the benefits it has for their clients. So if you wouldn't mind sharing any of those, I think that'd be great. Well, of course, there's my own website. <laughs> Go <laughs> but, for it. <laughs> um, but, which is uh, www.carolgray.com, C-A-R-O-L-G-R-A-Y. Um, a Pleasure Institute is, is a popular place for people to get training in craniosacral therapy. And, and they can learn more about it there. And, um, you know, there's a really sweet book that's written by uh, Dr. John Upledger. He's, he is um, uh, my former teacher. He died a few years ago. But, but, and it's called Your Inner Physician and You. And it's an incredibly readable book made for a general audience. And it describes uh, craniosacral therapy and has some great little stories about about the work and it's available everywhere it's an easy book to find uh, dr john upledger uh your inner physician and you and um i think that there's the Milne the milne institute m-i-l-n-e uh, uh hugh milne is is a famous trainer of craniosacral therapists and and then there are all of the biodynamic people too and and so you can you can google biodynamic craniosacral therapy and get you know a bunch of information about about that too so are those cool. the kinds of things that you want to know about? <laughs> yes, exactly. Awesome. And before we wrap up for today, we have a little more time, and I'd love to give our listeners a few more golden nuggets. Did you by any chance have a favorite quote that you'd like to share with our listeners? Ah, you know, well, there's one from William Sutherland, who's considered the granddaddy of of. Uh, cranial osteopathy and and by by association the the uh, the, the granddaddy of of craniosacral therapy and and it's actually written on his gravestone and it's it's be still and know Hmm. and I and I just love that yeah no that's great I've heard that quote before I just didn't know that's where it came from so that's wonderful (laughs) he's the man Awesome. Well, Carol, the Dearest Dula community truly appreciates what you do. And we'd like to wrap up today with you sharing a little more about your business and the best way we can connect with you. And then we'll say goodbye. Okay. Well, I am not only obsessed with using craniosacral techniques to help babies assume more ideal positions for birth, and I am about to launch um, a new aspect of my business pretty soon, probably within a couple of months. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's called Mama Space Yoga. Um, and and it does not even have its own website yet, but that's yeah. coming. And um, I am in the process of just, I'm just about done uh, developing wonderful prenatal yoga classes and techniques that at, that soon I will begin to teach to other practitioners that will enhance 
and um, and complement the craniosacral therapy that that I'm doing with with moms uh, with that end to making space for babies. And so I'm I'm super excited about that. And um, another awesome research for, resource for people that are in Portland, Oregon, anyway. And I realize the whole world does not revolve around mm-hmm. Portland, but um, we have free clinics uh, at least every other month for women in any stage of pregnancy and uh, women who are up to eight weeks postpartum. And we have free clinics every month for pre-crawling babies where um, they can these, these folks can get free craniosacral therapy. Oh, awesome. Well, Carol, the Dearest Doula community will be able to find links to everything of value that you mentioned on today's show by going to dearestdoula.com, clicking the podcast button and finding your name in the archives, or by typing in cranial sacral therapy, which I'm going to try to spell out properly. I have it as C-R-A-N-I-O-S-A-C-R-A-L therapy in the search bar to have this episode's show notes page pop right up. Thank you again so much for delighting us and informing us with all of your wonderful insights and information on today's topic. The Birthworker community is a much better place with you in it, and we send you a big warm hug. Thanks to your episode interview, we are now all one step closer to being connected, educated, and empowered. Have a great day. Thank you. I had a great time. 